great song, and I had not heard that before, Brother Richard. I said, I love that song. If you have your Bibles, let me invite you to take them and turn with me to Romans chapter number 8. And we're actually going to look this morning at three places in the book of Romans. And uh, we're going to begin reading in Romans 8, 26. Now, it seems like a long time ago, but uh, three weeks ago we began a series on the six purposes of the church. Why are we here? What is the reason that we are here? And we went through the first primary purpose, which was to worship, that we were created for the purpose to bring glory to God, that he made us so that he might enjoy us, and that in our lives we might bring glory to him. Now this morning we're going to be talking about the purpose of discipleship. Now the word discipleship in and of itself means to follow a teaching. But the biblical idea of discipleship really means becoming like Jesus. One of the purposes that God has for us is to become and to live more like Him. In fact, the whole book of Romans was written about it. The big $3 word for it is sanctification. That is, I came to Christ in the moment I was born again by the person of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of me. I began to become, to be like the person of Jesus Christ. Now look at Romans chapter 8, verses 26, and we're going to start there this morning looking. It says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. So the Apostle Paul is telling the Romans, the church at Rome, when you're weak, the Spirit of God intervenes. And by the way, each one of you who know Jesus this morning have the Spirit of God living in you. That's what the Gospel of John tells us. He says, the Spirit who lives in you helps you in your weaknesses. For when we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, the Spirit himself makes intercession for our groanings for which cannot be uttered. Now when Paul is talking about groanings that cannot be uttered, He's not talking about the unknown tongue. He is talking about being in a place of prayer with passion where you are praying so hard that almost you don't even know what to say to God. Have you ever been in a place in your life where you were before God in prayer and you said, Lord, I don't know what to say? He said, when you come to that point, the very Spirit of God himself will intercede and guide you. And look at what he says in verse 27. Now he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is. And listen, because he makes intercession for the saints, that's you, for believers, according to the will of God. So Paul is telling them, he says, even when you don't know how to pray, God's will is working in your life. Now, verse 28 is a verse that, we repeat and memorize and know because it's one that brings us a lot of comfort. And we know that all things work together for the good of them that love the Lord 
and are called according to his purpose. Now we'll come back to that in just a moment, but look at verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Now the easiest way to understand predestination is to this simple phrase. Before you love God, he loved you. Your decision of salvation didn't begin with your choice, which you had to make to accept Christ, but it began when God said, I love you first. And then he goes on to say, to, listen to this, and, and if you write in your Bible, I'd encourage you to circle this prepositional phrase, to be conformed in the image of his Son. That's discipleship. God's purpose for us is to be conformed or changed into the image of Jesus, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, those whom he predestined, he called. Those who called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Paul is referring to a day when we will be complete before God, totally healed, totally transformed in the presence of the Lord Jesus. But what I want us to target in on is he made us to be conformed into the image of Jesus. That's part of the purpose. To put it a simple way where somebody simple like me can understand is when I came to know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, when I was born again, I am more like Jesus today than I was yesterday because I'm growing as a disciple of Christ to be more like Him. That's part of His purpose. Now, how does He do it? Well, the first thing, if you're taking notes, and I'm sorry I don't have notes for you this morning, but I, want to, I can give those if you want to follow along. Number one is His Word. His Word. The, the Bible, look over, and, and again, we're going to look at three places in the book of Romans. Look over at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. You know this verse, but let me read it to you again. I beseech you, he's saying, I, I want to encourage you with everything I've got, that by the mercies of God, by what God's done in your life, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. He said, present and give everything you all to God. Look at verse 2. That you may not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you might prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Now, he says there in that phrase that you might be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How is your mind renewed? By spending time in God's Word. By taking time to read the Word of God. And when we talk about reading the Word of God, and this, I know this is simple. This is basic Christianity. Well, how do you read it? Well, you, you, when we went through teaching new Christians, we used the, the hand. You've probably seen it before. We read it, we memorize it. Let me tell you something. If you hadn't memorized Scripture in a long time, it's a great thing to do. We meditate on it, we pray it through, and then we apply it to our lives. 
So we take God's word and we take it and we read it and we apply it to our lives. He takes his word and he transforms us. Now, I just want to say this word to you. If you're not taking time in God's word every day and taking some time to listen to him, you're not going to become like him. Now, I'm going to give you a warning because <laughs> I gave it to myself when I was preparing this message. Most of you in this room are, uh, a lot of you in this room are my age and older. And I'll tell you the temptation for us is because I've been saved, gracious, I can't do the math, a long time. And a lot of times when you've been saved a long time, our thought process is, well, you know, I've taught Sunday school, I have uh, I've studied God's Word. I've been through all kinds of training courses. I've done all of this, and after all these years, I don't need to do it anymore. I can just sit back and relax. There's a great Hebrew word for that. It's called baloney. <laughs> Folks, listen, you never stop having the need to grow to be like Christ. I don't care how old you are. You and I have a need to be in God's Word and to study it and to pray it through. Because if we don't, we begin to stagnate. I've got a lot of friends who um, tell me, close friends, they say, Danny, you pastor, you've pastored for years. You've, uh, you know, you, you got a business. you got stuff to do. Don't do interims. Just go to church every once in a while. Y'all go on vacation. Folks, I can't take it on and off like that. Because when God saved me, He wanted me to continue to be more like Him. And can I say this word to us again? One of the witnesses for us who are senior, and I'm preaching to the senior saint because I'm 65. I got Medicare. Hey, man, I love Medicare. <laughs> I got Medicare this year. You know what? Folks, listen. We have an opportunity right now to show younger people who Jesus is. I'm a big fan of the Andy Griffith Show. You ever seen that? How many of y'all seen the Andy Griffith Show? There's a classic episode of Andy Griffith when the old guy that ran the general store, he was stingy, and a homeless guy wanted to come in and he wouldn't help him, and Andy said, you know, he's just going to ugly his way to heaven. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a lot of us that are like that. We, we're just, we're just, we're souring rather than getting sweeter. And what God wants us to do is to stay in His Word and get sweeter. We have a responsibility to model that to younger men and women. I have about five pastors right now, younger guys that I spend time with, and they call me and we talk about it. We talk about things. One of them this year had an extremely unusual thing. One of the young men in his church was in the January 6th insurrectionist and was on television. He called me and said, Danny, what I do? I told him, man, I don't know. <laughs> but all I know to do is to tell you, you can pray and God can lead you. And then we met and prayed. You see, we have a responsibility to be more like Jesus. Now, 
I'm, I know, I understand, we're going to go and go in the text, okay? You're welcome. <laughs> Let's go in, and I want to show, right, how does God do it? Through his word. But there are other ways that the Lord takes to do it. Look back at verse number 28, and I want you to see this text with me again. Uh, I'm sorry, back to Romans chapter 8. If you'll turn back to Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and look at that text with me. Look at what he says. And we know that all things work together for the good of them that love the Lord. Now I want you to hear this very carefully. The process of Jesus making us to be like him is in all things. Not just God's word, but other parts of our life. He takes those things and makes and uses them to grow us to be conformed to his image. I want to share with you this morning in application three things that we saw in the life of Jesus that he uses in our lives to conform us to be like him. In Jesus' life he had trouble in the garden, temptation in the desert, and trespasses on the cross. Number one, if you'll write down the word trouble, trouble. Now take your Bibles, if you will, and turn back over to Romans chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. We're going to stay in the book of Romans. I'm not going to have you all over the, book, all over the Bible, but if you'll just turn back over to Romans chapter 5 and actually go back up to verse 3, Romans 5, 3. And not only that, he's talking about being justified in faith through Christ Jesus. And not only that, but we glory in tribulations. Another translation of the word tribulation would be the word trouble, knowing that trouble produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Paul tells the church at Rome that trouble in our lives produces perseverance that character in Christ comes out of trouble you see Jesus even himself experienced trouble before the cross recorded the incident in Gethsemane where Jesus went to the garden to pray this recorded in the gospel of Mark and in the gospel of Luke well, first of all, when he faced this trouble, he needed fellowship, didn't he? The king of all the glory asked his disciples to go with him. He, in, in Mark uh, chapter 14, verse 32, uh, it said, They came to the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. Be with me. He wanted friends at a stone's throw. And you know what happened according to the Gospel of Luke? They went to sleep. But as he faced that trouble... In Mark chapter 14, verse 36, he came to the Father. And listen to what Jesus asked the Father as he faced the trouble of the cross. And by the way, I believe that if he is preeminent, omniscient, all-knowing God, that if he was there praying in the garden, he knew exactly what he was facing on the cross. So as he faced the cross, he prayed this prayer. Father, he said unto them, everything is possible with you. Please take this cup of suffering away. Yet I want your will and not mine. 
You see, what Jesus prayed was, Lord, if there's any way for this trouble to leave, let it leave. But Father, if the trouble doesn't leave, if you're going to allow it, I'm going to accept it as being in your will. I'll accept this trouble. There's two things that text tells us. Number one, when you face trouble, it's okay to ask the Lord to make an escape. It's okay to say, Lord, Father, is there any way to get out of this? But, Father, if you don't get me out of this, Father, I'm going to ask for your will to be done. Because I know that in the trouble that I face, you're going to work in a way that you're going to grow me out to be like you. And many times the Lord takes the trouble and grows us more to be like Jesus. Let me say something to you. If we all had a trouble-free life, there'd be little opportunity for us to grow. So God takes the trouble in our life and he uses it to conform us to his image. You say, well, a lot of times when, when we're in the middle of the trouble, we don't always see God's hand. That's right. I want, I want to give you two practical suggestions about how when you're in the middle, and some of you might right, be right now, and some of you may say, pastor or interim pastor, I, I live in trouble. <laughs> My life is just seems like I go from one place of trouble to the next. How can I see what God is doing? This is what a couple of people have written about that. It's good suggestions. If, if you're going through that, number one, keep a journal. R write it down, what, what God is doing. Number And Moses uh, was told by the Lord in Numbers chapter 33, verse 2, at the Lord's direction, Moses kept a record of their progress. He saw what God was doing in the midst of a trouble. I tell you what happens a lot of times. If you stop and you look while you're in the middle of a crisis and write down where you are on Monday and you write down where you are on Friday, you'll see the hand of God. You'll say, God, I see where you are in the midst of this. Record it. Number two, remember the end. Remember the end. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, it said, Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs all of them. Uh, that, that what we're going through is temporary. There's a temporary time that we're facing this. The Lord, number one, uses trouble to conform us to, to disciple us. Number two, the Lord uses temptation to teach us to obey Him, to become like Him. Now, I want to define, I'm going to use two words this morning, and I want to give two definitions to them. The first word is the word temptation. Now, what is temptation? Temptation is a situation or a cause put there by Satan or a power against the Lord Jesus that's trying to keep you away from him. A trap. It's an enticement that's put in your life to stop 
fellowship with God. In the Gospel of Matthew, the Lord Jesus himself was tempted. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, it said, Then Jesus was led into the wilderness, and he was tempted. He was put in that situation by the devil. Now, the truth is that every one of us, no matter how spiritual we are, we're going to face temptation. Now, when we think about temptation, the first, uh, the first thing we think about is sexual sin, don't we? Or some type of terrible situation. And that is a temptation. But temptation is more than that. Temptation can take a lot of different forms in our life. It's that thing that's out there that entices us and pulls us away from the Lord Jesus. Now, whenever we're tempted, and all of us are going to walk through it, number one, remember, I want to say this to you, it's not a sin to be tempted. I want you to follow me through. As I say, um, it's not a sin to be tempted, but it's a sin to succumb to that temptation. Martin Luther said, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. You see, it's the fact of the matter. In fact, Psalms chapter 1, verse 1, says, Blessed is the man who does not, who walks past the place of temptation, who does not stand in the place of temptation, and does not sit in the place of temptation. Temptation, the yielding to it, is the sin of our lives. Or what keeps us from becoming more like Jesus. And number two, remember that all of us in some way have a temptation uh, that, that all of us face. A lot of times we think, well, my temptation is greater than everybody else's. Uh, I, nobody else is being tempted like me. Well, that's not true. Everyone has gone through and faced a temptation in every way. But the temptation can be a, listen, can be a stepping stone to make us to be more like Jesus. Because in Matthew chapter 4, verse 10, as Jesus was being tempted by Satan, this is the rebuke he gave to Satan, get thee out of here, Satan, uh, the, as, the, as the scripture saith, they worship God and God alone and obey only Him. So he rebuked him. The test was, and this is the test, do I love God more than I love the temptation? Now we're not going to do this publicly, but if we were to go through here this morning, I don't care how old you are whether you're 7 or 70 or 80, there are things in our lives that draw us. And the question is, do you and I love God more than we love the temptation? And the Lord grows us. Because as we face the temptation, we... Uh, we begin to grow in Christ because we learn that we have strengths in our life that, that keep us stronger 
have some more things, but for the sake of time, I'll move on. Number three. Number three, God uses, listen to this word, trespasses to teach us to forgive. Trespasses. What is a trespass? A trespass is a situation or an action, listen, by another person to hurt you. Sometimes it's unintentional. The person doesn't mean to hurt you. And sometimes it's intentional. And the closer you are to that person, the deeper the hurt. But I want you to hear this. The trespasses in life, the hurts in life, God uses them to make you become more like him. I want you to, and, and you can jot down the scripture, and this is kind of a message that's designed more for PowerPoint to bring them up on the screen, but I, I want to just share this message with you. Uh, in Matthew 7, 39 through 44, listen to what happened to Jesus on the cross, and Matthew 27, 39 through 44, and actually it's verse 39 and 42 through 44. And the people passing by, looking at Jesus on the cross, shook their heads, hurled inserts at Jesus, and the, el listen, the elders made fun of him. Even the thief who had been crucified with him insulted him in the same way intentionally they are tried to be hurt Jesus. I want to say this to you. You are not going to be insulated from hurt. Even if you know Christ, there are going to be those situations in life where you're going to become wounded by other people. Now, this is a side point, but I think one of the ministries the church needs to have today is to call that out. <laughs> because there's a lot of toxicity in churches because people are allowed to intentionally go on wounding other people without any consequences. But you're not going to be immune to that. It's going to happen. It's a part of life. But I want you to hear this. Whenever it happens, those hurts, those trespasses, can make you and I become more like Jesus. I want to share with you two important points about that. Whenever you're going through a trespass and you've been hurt, and folks, uh, it, it's, it's all, you know, it happens almost for a lot of us daily. Some of you are in a difficult job. Some of you are in a difficult family situation. What do you do? How do you do that? Because the choice we have to make is this. Number one, to run from God and to become bitter and Ephesians chapter 4 says, 
let not the root of bitterness grow within you. Bitterness is an emotional mood state from anger, prolonged anger. When people say, I stay angry because I'm mad over what's happened to me and I, I don't want to give up my anger, so I'm going to stay angry. And listen, listen to this. If you stay angry and you stay bitter, you can eventually learn to love it. Where you don't want to give it up. I'd rather stay bitter than forgive. And you know this. You're hurting yourself. Two things. Number one, remember that God has forgiven you. Paul told the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, forgive others just as God forgave you because of Jesus. Uh, you, you and I have to Forgive those people who are around us. Now, all of us have personalities in our life that we can't deal with. The, the mandate is not for people to respond to your forgiveness. The mandate is for you to forgive them. Sometimes I've suggested to people, sit down, write them a letter. Just let them know that you mean it. And by the way, when you forgive somebody, the intent has to be that you actually forgive them. Because a part of what we call passive-aggressive behavior is when you say one thing and do another. And there are a lot of people who are Christians who say, I forgive you. And the horse you rode in on. <laughs> and you know what they're saying? I know I need to do this, but I really don't mean it. We need to remember that God forgave us and because he was willing to forgive us, we have to forgive others. Number two, we have to remember whenever we've been hurt that God is in control. I want you to say something with me right now. I'm not going to lead you to say anything theologically incorrect. So I'm going to just ask you to say this simple phrase with me. God is God. Say that, please. And I'm not him. Amen. <laughs> you're not God. So you're not the one responsible for justice. He will be the one who balances the scales. And you don't have to be the one to get even and judge a person. Let God be God. He's in control. You say, well, you don't understand, Debbie. They've hurt me so bad. No. I'm sorry. And I don't mean that ugly. I, I really am. But I want to tell you, you, God's in control. Joseph was the beloved son of Jacob. Jacob and his brothers who were jealous of him took him out into the wilderness and put him in a pit and then they sold him as a slave into Egypt. They came back and lied to their father and said, Father, 
You're the love of your life, the love of your heart, your darling was killed by a bear. And for 40 years of his life, Joseph went down, 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 further and further. He was a, uh, essentially a paid bondservant in the Egyptian care. And then through the hand of God, the Pharaoh elevated him to the living prime minister of Egypt. And some 50 years after the incident of his life, when he was tricked by his brothers, a famine had taken the land and the people of his father were forced to come before Egypt and to beg food. And his brothers came before the throne, and, and I, I'm on not to read Genesis, go home and read Genesis 50, but in Genesis 50, uh, the brothers who had enslaved him and tricked him and put him in a Pitt came forward. He said, come a little closer. And they came forward and they recognized the son that they disposed of. And they fell down. They thought they were just going to take his life. And then the prime minister of Egypt said, get up. Don't be afraid. And, 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 and if you've never, if you're dealing with bitterness, if you're dealing with hurt, memorize Genesis 50 verse 20. Those things that you meant for harm, God turned, listen to what Joseph saying to his brothers, your evil into good to save the lives of many which is being done. Joseph told him, said, listen, you've harmed me. But that thing that you did to me, God has been in control. And he took it and he, he took that enslavement, that trickery, all the things that happened, and he turned it and he put me on the Egyptian throne. And now what you meant is harm. God's taken it and turned it to good. And he said, I want you to be encouraged. And you know what happened? He came down off the throne and he, he hugged his brothers and, 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 and just a homecoming took place. Folks, can I tell you this? God is in control. I, I'm one of those type A's. I want to do God's job. <laughs> but he's in control. And he takes it and turns us to be like him. When we are discipled and conformed to be in his presence, God takes his word and teaches us to be like him. But in addition to that, in the all things he takes, he takes troubles, he takes temptation, and he takes trespasses. And all things to conform us to be like Jesus. Thank you for listening. Would you stand with me right now as we conclude our worship time together? Let's, let's just uh, for a moment go to prayer. And I, I just want to, I want to not just, just challenge you, but encourage all of us with this simple question. Are we growing in Christ? Are we more today like Jesus than we were yesterday? And I understand that it's not that simple. It's not just the A to B line. Sometimes it's a zigzag. 
There's the ups and downs. But the basic question is, are you becoming more like Jesus? And that's only a question between you and the Holy Spirit. If you're not, if you sense there's just something there that needs to change, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're a child of God, dear Father, I know you. I'm your child by what Jesus did at the cross. But there are things that need to change in my life. And I want to ask you to change me to be more like you. I will look to you is a source of hope in my life. I turn to you, Lord Jesus. In your name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, you may not need to come forward. You may just need to say, I'm going to make a commitment now. Father, I want to go home, learn to be like Jesus. I want to encourage this church, when you call your pastor, in the days ahead, one of the great needs in the church today is to have plans of discipleship for people to grow in Christ. And you get that way to do it. They're simple things. If you say, hey, Danny, I want to know some way right now. Let me know after service. I can email you things. We can get you on a reading plan right now. We'll be glad to help any way we can. If you're here and God's led you to Forest Heights Baptist Church, we want you to come. This is a place, a church of open arms that they want you to join be a part of who they are. You, you come right now. If you're here and you say, I don't know Jesus, I want to know him. I want to know how I can become changed and be like Jesus. If you'll come this morning, we'll take time to introduce you to Jesus Christ. Let's respond to God's Spirit as we sing together.